Hello, I'm Dan Hall. Making the show costs money. And if you listen regularly, please consider subscribing to my Patreon page. The link is in the show notes. But if you can't afford to, that's no problem. Instead, maybe you could recommend the show to a friend. Now then, let's get queer and start the show. When you want to honor your energy and love yourself and you have those wants to express in that way and you can freely do that, that's beautiful and it's beautiful to witness. This is In The Key Of Q, featuring queer music, queer chat and queer stories from around the world. Everyone is welcome to the conversation, whatever beautiful identity pleases you. Music helps us feel connected and know that we are not alone. Do remember to join the conversation across socials using the hashtag QueerMusic. I'm Dan Hall. Tune in and be heard. This week's guest is a queer non-binary songwriter, producer and video maker who joins us from Melbourne, Australia. They've been producing and releasing music and music videos since 2018 with their debut single Icarus from the EP Chlorophyll. Their music is also accompanied by strong visual worlds and striking self-directed music videos, and they've also performed live at Australia's Gay Times and Midsummer Festivals. So from London to the other side of the world, it's a big hello to Max Lawrence. Max, hello. Hello. I see that love light glowing over me. Yes. Dissolving in your mouth my destiny. My flesh is synthesized, a crystalline device to be spectacle in the mind. I'm a new taste on the market. You wanna buy, and my body's made for profit. It's a grand design. I'm a new my family were pretty musical. Um, my parents were always singing, and my dad played guitar. And I learned classical piano from when I was like five. Um, which I mean, I was just around music all the time, and we'd always, you know, be singing along in the car, like to greats like Queen and like the Eagles and ELO. Um, and my dad was the kind of dad that would play, um, David Bowie to me in the womb, (laughs) like would just, um, he loved doing Ziggy Stardust and the spiders from Mars, like just singing it on the acoustic to my mom when I was in the womb. So I feel like that kind of explains a lot, but, um, no, it's just always been around music and yeah, my, my parents got me to do classical at, at age five. And then when I was a teen, when I was like 12 or 13, I decided that now nah, I've had enough, you know, the classical music was too much pressure because it's a very strict kind of like rigid way of learning music, I guess, like it was a really discipline focused thing. And I was like, nah, I've had it. So I started to, so I took like a little bit of a break and then I started writing songs when I was like 16 and I was in a rock band um, and we wrote original songs and we kind of thought that we were the Red Hot Chili Peppers and I just kind of found myself writing songs and kept writing them. And then 
it's funny then and sometimes I make music now and I go, oh, why did I make that? And it's like, oh, because I listened to X as a kid. And it's kind of nice to make something and then sit back in retrospect and go, oh, like that's kind of the lineage of my like musical DNA made this thing. So what was the tipping point at which you creatively felt you were no longer getting getting it, whatever it is, out of just listening to music and, and your desire to create it? took over. Can you remember what that tipping point was? I think when, I mean, I had singing lessons at my high school and my singing teacher was this like huge, like flamboyant camp, amazing, like queer as fuck drag queen (laughs) who somehow had a job in this really, um, strict like all boys catholic high school that i went to um and in those singing lessons i really felt they were kind of like therapy as well as singing lessons like i was completely in the closet hiding everything and then in these singing lessons was where i could actually be myself and be held and supported by this like beautiful older queer man and then tying that sense of self to the things that I'm singing and the things that I'm making and the the actual music. And I was like, this feels powerful. This feels right. This, you know, this feels like something that I can access within myself. And it was just so nice. Um, His name was Justin. And it was just so nice to have that role model, that like strong queer role model at a time when there were like no queers around me at all who was like, you can do this, you know, you're actually good (laughs) or like you should do this, you know, Um, and had a few light bulb moments singing with him. Yeah. Rumors went around in the staff about me and my singing teacher being sexual. And that was absolutely not the case at all. We were just two queer people in close quarters who cared about each other. And never once did we breach any kind of thing like that at all. But all these like insidious rumors went around about us and the staff. And I think with the goal to get him fired, it was wild. It was not good. So where did you grow up, Max? Um, So in like the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, um, it's kind of just like, yeah, just, it was just suburbia, like literally the the trope. What was suburbia like for you? Because for those of us in London, of course, we just immediately assume that all Melbourne suburbia is Erinsborough. Is where, sorry? Is Erinsborough, which for those people listening who there's you, might not know it's the fictional suburb in which a uh, very popular Australian soap opera called Neighbours is set, oh. uh, which, which was a huge hit in this country and, was, and launched the career, of course, of Kylie Minogue. How but, could um, I forget about Erinsborough? Er, how could you forget? Shame on you. But, you know, for us, our, our vision of suburbia is from the soap opera, so it's, it'll be all from Kath and Kim. And I'm, oh. mindful, I'm mindful of a great line in Priscilla, actually, where 
Terence Stamp's character says when they're in Sydney, they're just about to leave. And he says, I never know whether that ugly wall of suburbia is there to keep us in or them out. True. It is actually quite like that. There, there is a divide completely in the, the, the people um, in terms of inner metropolitan areas versus suburban. Um, but the Kath and Kim trope is so true. Um, so much of whenever they go to the shopping center in Kath and Kim, that's the shopping center I worked at for like seven years. What, you worked at Fountain Gate? Well, it's called Southland in real life. And they also shopped at, they, 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 um, sorry, they shot it at Fountain Gate and Southland. So two different shopping centers in like Southeast Melbourne. Um, yeah. And I worked there for like seven years. So whenever I watch it and I see the shopping center I worked in before they had the renovations, I'm just like, this is so bizarre, but no, it's, it's very that it's, um, pretty bogan around that area, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but you know, there's a charm to it. I lean into it, you know, but curiously enough, it sounds like your home within this slightly dull suburbia was, was not a dull space. You've got these kind of cool parents who play Bowie to you in the womb and have guitars and all these yeah. sorts of things. No, totally. I, I was very, yeah, I'm, I'm super grateful for having awesome parents and, you know, they help, they like kind of enriched our lives with music and, um, definitely like cool little parents in a, in a normie suburban bubble. And so what is it like being a queer kid in an Australian suburb? Um, I mean, it really, it really varies from suburb to suburb. I mean, my, um, where I went to high school wasn't as bad, but the actual high school itself was like super hyper-masculine and toxic masculinity flying around everywhere. Like just boys being boys, you know, um, everything's about the footy and nothing's ever about vulnerability <laughs> or kindness really. And like, I saw, you know, one of my closest friends, um, was really naturally more feminine than I am. And, was bullied out of the school, um, quite brutally. And I like saw all that happen and just kind of had to hide, you know, um, cause I didn't want that to happen to me. So I just, you know, kind of put my head down and got through it. Can you tell us how toxic masculinity would present itself in your school and what that would mean to you? It was like, you know, talking about women all the time in such degrading ways in like these huge, like group gang kind of things, like, you know, like a nude would leak of a girl from like a, a school near us or something. And then all the guys would just be like all over it. And then just being like, Oh, she's such a slut and blah, blah, blah. And then like just being awful to women all the time. And, you know, and then you talk to them one-on-one -on -one, and they wouldn't be like that. But then in this big group, it was all this posturing and just bravado that was not put in the right place. Men have to find healthy places to put their bravado and their energy that isn't that and 
I think we're, we're still trying to work that out. <laughs> You talked about the challenges of, of these kind of toxic masculinity being very much associated with sports. And I certainly speaking to our guests, the fear of the sports field or the sports lessons was a real thing at school. You know, we really did dread it. Did you have that kind of experience? Was it a place of dread for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of was so aware of how I ran. <laughs> like running like I don't know like a sissy or a wimp or feminine and it, maybe even if I didn't I was it was still so like ingrained into me just to like audit that and to like I don't know run in a masculine way um I mean I'm like I wouldn't say I'm sporty I'm you know if I'm thrown into it I can get into it but I don't know just the whole culture of it I mean Australia is so entrenched in football like afl um and the culture of that specifically is rotten <laughs> um binge drinking completely and um yeah those similar kind of like toxic masculinity things you know homophobia stuff like that and you know i mean we all kind of know these things and i feel like i'm not really saying anything new here but I mean, hopefully it's moving towards a better culture within that, but those things trickled down into the sports vibe at school. Um, but yeah, I just kind of like only did the sports I had to do. You spoke earlier about a music teacher who was particularly inspiring to you, but generally, was it a supportive space for queer kids? Did you feel that you could reach out to positions of authority or people who could help you? where you did face homophobic bullying? Because you, you spoke about a friend of yours who was bullied out of school. I had like, yeah, I had my singing teacher and I had one of my homeroom teachers who was lovely. Um, and I was really close with my ceramics teacher. Um, so sometimes at lunchtime, I would go into the art studio and just hang out with my ceramics teacher and just make little teapots. <laughs> Um, so they kind of knew and they were like, you know, come under my wing a little bit. Um, but for the most part, it was, you know, not necessarily something you could talk about. And when you're in that position, you kind of have your list of people that know and people that don't know and people that can't know, you know, cause you've like sensed that they're homophobic or they've said offhand comments. And you're like, all right, cool. You're on the list of people who can't know. Um, but there was this, there's this amazing organization in Melbourne and Australia called Minus 18. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's essentially a queer youth organization that holds events and is, has like an online forum for yeah, queer youth. So kids who identify as queer who are under 18, um, to find other queers out there online. And that was something I found so much solace in. And I remember going to one of the first, like the, they held dance parties for under 18 queer kids. And I, I went to one of those and 
it was the most liberating experience ever. I remember it so clearly. I could dance how I wanted. I could just completely not have to just audit myself all the time and just, you know, it was amazing. So I went to a few of those and then I started to make more queer friends and developed a little bit of a community. And um, I guess everything snowballed from there. For you as a, as a queer person in your teens and then entering those early adult years, what new things did you start to learn about your identity and what did those mean to you? It was only really until I started going to a club night called Honcho Disco in Melbourne that I started to properly find the queers that I related to. Seeing how everyone would just bend gender and just be so free was really inspiring. And then I kind of started a bit of a journey with, you know, my own gender bending and just seeing how else I can represent and how else I can express and how it feels to wear feminine clothing or both or just dress like a clown or just like, you know, a diva or just anything, you know, it's just, there's so much freedom in that. And, um, yeah. And, and recently, like last year, I, you know, kind of come out as non-binary and, um, just really enjoyed the possibilities with identifying that way and the modes of expression I can inhabit and the kind of different things I can be within that feels really exciting because I've held down my femininity for so long. With chlorophyll I drink the sun And know that I will overcome These veins unwind, they come undone Sighing out a Why do you think people have such an issue around gender and gender identity? It really, really seems to get people in a real tears. As in like people who are against it? Yeah, yeah. People, you know, why is that man wearing nail varnish? Or why is that woman wearing trousers? Or or why do we have to call this person by a pronoun that I'm not comfortable with? It's, it seems to really, really rile people. Why do you think this is? Gender non-conforming people have two two homophobic people or two transphobic people have become this like symbol of everything that's wrong in the world. Um, and alt right people, right wing people, they see us and they just think you are the downfall of society. You are like it's just they. It's like they don't see the person that's in front of them as if it's a person. It's like this symbol of just assumption and hate and prejudice that, you know, and I just don't, the binary mindset is so strong of you have to be one or the other. And I feel like those people are only maybe just starting to come around to trans folk, but not really, you know, like it's still a long way to go on that front. And I think often men, can sometimes face it a little bit tougher in, in so much that it's that old line, you know, that for women to dress as men, it's not funny because we live in a patriarchal society. But if a man dresses as a woman, he's deconstructing his masculinity and he's letting the side down. And the only acceptable way to do that is if it's a joke. Completely, because there's this like 
war on femininity. There's this like, you know, it's like as if the the female figure or feminine energy is some sort of like pariah that we don't want because, you know, we live under patriarchal systems. And that's fucked up. I'm the canvas that you And where do you think we're going with gender in a perfect world where people are more willing to listen and to, frankly, not give a damn about things that don't affect them? If we lived in this ideal world, where do you think we'd be going with gender across the next generation? I think it'd be a space that's free of shame and a space that is honestly just geared towards love and acceptance. And I know that is so, you know, kind of cliche to say, but it's true. You know, when you want to honor your energy and love yourself and you have those wants to express in that way, and you can freely do that, that's beautiful. And it's beautiful to witness. And without the shame that hundreds of years and more of certain systems have told us we need to feel without that there's only love i think with the discussions between each side you know they've become so polarized because of like internet echo chambers and you know the spread of misinformation and things like that the conversations always have to come from a place of compassion on both sides and listening, actual real listening. It's like we haven't, it's like we've forgotten how to listen properly, you know? Um, so if we can get, if we can have those conversations, then we'll get somewhere. What emotion do you feel being awake in life? One of the main reasons I wanted to start this podcast, Max, was so that people could have their voices heard, especially I feel queer people whose voices are often silenced. Now, normally when I finish recording this podcast, I pull it into the edit and nip and tuck things down a little bit. But for the next two or so minutes, I'm not going to do that. The floor is going to be all yours to talk about whatever you want. It could be something we've already spoken about or something completely new. Hmm. So I didn't really know what to talk about. So I just thought I would talk about a show I'm really into at the moment um, called Steven Universe. Um, it's this really beautiful, it's I think technically a kid's cartoon, but so many adult themes and so many like, you know, adult jokes and things like that. But it's essentially about this young kid who 
um, I think is, you know, has elements of being neurodivergent and there's these three gems that are aliens from an alien world that are his protectors and they go on missions together and save the earth and et cetera. And there are just so many beautiful queer allegories throughout it. Like the, the crystal gems, these aliens don't have gender at all. Um, and Steven as a little kid is learning how to love himself and learning how to harness his power. And he's, he doesn't, he's, he lost his mum and he doesn't know his mum. There are these really interesting themes around grief and loss and how all the characters are dealing with that. And it's just this really beautiful show. Each episode is like 10 minutes and they deliver such a crystallized, clear, concise concept to you. And I've learned, I feel like I've learned so much about emotional intelligence from this kids show it's wild you know it's really cool to for this these kind of kids shows to be being made because me as an adult is learning so much from it let alone what these kids are learning from it but um yeah anyway steven universe is great and i would recommend that anyone watch it especially if you're queer Max, what do you think your 15-year-old self would think of you and make of the music that you make now? I feel like my 15-year-old self would be so dazzled and also so confused. <laughs> um, I, I think most of my 15-year-old self would be like, I'm so, like, I feel like, I feel like my 15-year-old self would, would be proud. And that's a really, you know, I saw this question and I, I kind of was just like, oh, that's such a nice thought. Cause not often do I think about how much I've changed since I was 15, you know, and taking stock of all the beautiful experiences I've had and things I've learned and, and person I've become feels great. And to then be making things that also channel that. I feel like little 15-year-old Max would be like, oh, sick, something's going to happen. I'm going to feel good. Now then, Max, what queer artist are you listening to at the moment and who would you recommend we get on the show? I'm very into Mitski right now. Do you know Mitski? I don't know. So Mitski is, yeah, like a kind of American indie rock um, songwriter who is just incredible. Where can people find you online? Um, so yeah, if you search Max Lawrence on Instagram or YouTube or Spotify, Apple Music, all of the streaming services, you'll find my music and you'll find me being silly on my Instagram. And I do have a TikTok, but I, you need to make more TikToks and kind of get on that train a bit more. Um, but yeah, I'm on all the good, good. If you want to, I've got some music videos on YouTube that I made, um, for some of my singles as well, which are pretty fun. 
you want to jump on? And of course, we'll put links to these as, as well. And, and I have oh, to great. say, I, I managed to stay away from TikTok for a while. And <laughs> although I'm not a TikTok creator, I, I lose hours of my life just sucked into it. It's my algorithm just seems to bring up kind of hairy guys with their shirts off and, oh. and grandmothers who say fuck. And, and and sort of dogs that appear to speak Latin, and that is the holy trinity of the algorithm. Like they they they, yeah, they know is, exactly, like straight into your pineal gland. They were like, "This is what you want. You're going to lose four hours." It's a it's a time vortex. It's insane. It is um, so basically, Max. Unless your your TikTok content starts to cross one of those boundaries, uh-huh. then you know either you got to be a hairy shirtless guy, or you got to be a dog speaking Latin, or you got to be a grandmother that says fuck. I feel like I'm closer to the dog speaking Latin personally, um, or maybe I'm a dog that just, you know, teaches you different languages and that's my shtick. Um, actually, that's a good idea. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Watch that happen. <laughs> So then, Max, we've been listening to your music all the way through this episode, but I like to think we've saved the best till last, and that is your gateway song. And the idea of this is that it is a track that we play almost in full to act as a perfect introduction to your catalogue. What would your gateway song be and why? I'd have to choose my song Icarus. Um, It was actually the first song I released, but I think it just really sums up a lot of my music, I'm searching for beauty and searching for connection and trying to create things that foster that. And I think this song is a really good example of that, um, of painting love between boys as something grand and larger than life and um, something that can also exist within mythology. Um, yeah, so I'd say Icarus. Kind hazel eyes gaze into mine and offer their time Let's lie together And just be Wild boys at night Together we fly Larger than life You gave me wings of love Icarus
Max Lawrence, thank you so much for coming on In the Key of Q and sharing with us your stories and, of course, your music. Yay, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode. Remember, you can support In the Key of Q via Patreon, or alternatively, recommend it to a friend. The theme music is by Pauline Edu at unstoppablemonsters.com, with press and PR by Paul Smith. Help others to discover new queer music by giving the show a review where you listen to podcasts. The show was made at Pup Media. I'm Dan Hall. Go listen to some music, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Icarus Fade Icarus Fade You hold the beauty of this world Icarus in your head Those palms Icarus caress the light And when you touch my face Icarus I feel it too Icarus And I love you Icarus Fade I love you